In the New Testament, his name is found about 40 times. Generally, it has reference to Jesus, the Messiah, being the son of David. But David was a great man. There were other great characters in the Old Testament. For example, Abraham is referred to as the friend of God. And we'd all like to be friends of God. Moses is spoken of as the most meek man. And meekness is a quality of discipleship. Job is spoken of as a man of patience, but of David. And David alone is it said by God, I have chosen me a man after mine own heart. Someone will say, yes, but that was made by God, that statement, before David got involved with Bathsheba. Well, that's true. It was before that. But as we read on through the history, even after David has died, there are references to David as being a great man. Other kings have been compared to David, and they all fall short of this great individual. <clears throat> we notice <clears throat> this statement in 1 Kings 15, 3 and 4. And here David is being referred to as his, I think, great-grandson. Let's see, Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijah, son, grand, great-grandson. Nevertheless, for David's sake, did Jehovah his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem? And that's an expression we run across, a lamp in Jerusalem. That means <clears throat> David's going to have descendants. They're never going to pass away. His throne... His kingdom was established and it was going to continue. So, for David's sake, did Jehovah his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem? Because David did that which was right in the eyes of Jehovah. And turned not aside from anything that he, God, commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. God didn't forget about that. There's one thing you'll notice about David. He was never tempted to worship idols. And Solomon became an apostate. And I think died lost because of his idolatry. But not David. And although David is a man of greatness and power... The Bible does not fail to mention his failures and his weaknesses. Remember Nebuchadnezzar's vision of this great uh, figure, we'll call him. The head of gold represented uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And then there were three other kingdoms, the Medo-Persian, and then the, the Grecian kingdom. And Alexander the Great was the one that established it and was a great emperor. Well, Alexander the Great used to be painted with his hand resting on his face, you know, like he was in great thought. But the real reason was to hide a scar on his cheek. The Bible paints men just as they are. The Bible tells it like it is. There's no scar, no birthright, no deformity that's left out. Terence McCartney made this statement about David, and I, 
I think it just about hits it on, on the head. David was the greatest sinner and the greatest saint in the Old Testament. He had that kind of heart that God appreciated. He did wrong. We're not trying to belittle any of his failures and his sins. But David was a man who sought God's will all the time. Well, let's say most of the time. And when he failed, he was able and willing to repent. He was a man of penitence. And he's a great example for us to follow. Let me, uh, well, we read that scripture in 1 Kings 11. Remember it mentioned for David's sake? We read another passage that mentioned that. Even though Solomon was the one who was responsible for the division of the kingdom. Now sometimes we think about his son Rehoboam. The ten northern tribes came to, to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, and said, we'd like for you to reduce the burdens and the taxation that your father Solomon placed upon us. He said, come back in three days and I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Well, he wasn't going to reduce it. In fact, he thought he was bigger than his father Solomon, so Jeroboam led the ten northern tribes away. But that's a fulfillment. It was Solomon's idolatry, of course his son, his grandson followed suit. And God said, I'm going to divide the kingdom. Solomon's at fault. For David's sake, the judgment would take place in Solomon's time. It would not take place in his time. And we think of this as being a beautiful and a touching tribute to David's memory. God knew the tenderness of David's heart. Because Solomon was his son, the judgment on the nation was postponed. Later on, we can read in 1 first, uh, first Kings 14. Remember, we mentioned Jeroboam. He was the first king of the ten northern tribes. Ahijah was the prophet. And he came to him and he had on a new uh, robe and he divided it up into twelve strips. And Jeroboam took ten of them. He said, now this is a sign that you're going to head ten of the tribes. Well, Jeroboam didn't turn out too good. He was the one that uh, developed a priesthood from every tribe, not just the Levites. He is the one that established these uh, golden idols up in Bethel and in Dan, Dan down to Bethel. And he made other changes the day when they were to worship, the place of the worship. And so later on, Ahijah the prophet speaks to Jeroboam and he said, you did not do like David. You committed sin. And God's going to hold you responsible for it. And he certainly did that because from then on when we read about a king in the northern ten tribes, they're compared to Solomon, I mean to Jeroboam. And he said, you did wickedly just like Jeroboam did. Well, let's look at the background. I'm not getting too far away from David. <clears throat> when we first read about David, King Saul, the first king now, not counting God himself, has been rejected by the Lord. It's about the year 1020, according to my chronology. Saul became the king in 1050, 
He reigned for 40 years. The Bible tells us that take it down to 1010. And that's when David became the next king and he reigned for 40 years and so forth. But it was about 10 years before he became a king that he was brought on the scene. We learn about him as being the one who would help Saul when he had this evil spirit playing on his heart. He was the one that went back and forth. And uh, David was the one after killing Goliath that entered into Saul's army. And God blessed every effort that he made forth. And then Saul became jealous. But then he had to flee and became a refugee in his own country. In fact, he had to leave his own country to go among the Philistines. This is David. So for about 10 years, from the time he kills Goliath until Saul is dead and he sits upon the throne, he's a refugee. God is training David. He's preparing David during that time. But Saul is already rejected by God. Let me briefly mention. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, the Philistines were coming up against Saul and the Israelite army, and they were always at war with one another. And they didn't fight over in the Philistine country. They, their army came over and they fought among the Israelites. And so here uh, we find all of these, the, the army. It seemed like it says there's about, uh, I want to say 18,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and multitudes, that is soldiers like the sand of the sea. So that tells us a lot. But Saul didn't have that many. And when the people, and, and the Bible usually uses the term people to refer to the army, not the men and the women and the families and so forth, talking about the men in the army. And when they saw all of these Philistines surrounding them, they, they became desperate. They hid in caves and in thickets. Some of them went across the Jordan on the east side to flee. And here was Saul with just a few remaining faithful to him. Well, they had made arrangements. Samuel said, in seven days I'll come to Gilgal where you are and I'll offer sacrifice to God and he'll help us. But it was the seventh day and Samuel hadn't shown up yet and Saul said, I can't wait any longer. We need to offer this sacrifice to appease God, to get him on our side. And so he went ahead and had the offering, the burnt offering made. And then Samuel showed up. You know where I'm going next? I'm glad you're listening. Where did Samuel go next? Well, Samuel appeared to him. He said, you've done a, 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 a bad thing. It was not the place of the king to offer sacrifice. Samuel, because he was a prophet, not because he was of the tribe of Levi, but because he was a prophet, was able to offer sacrifices. But these people were fleeing. And Solomon, I mean, Samuel said to Saul, God has rejected you. Because you didn't keep this commandment. You didn't wait seven days. This was evidently a test of Saul's faith to wait until Samuel showed up. And he waited until about the last minute or the last hour too short. But then in chapter 15, there's another place that shows why David was uh, Saul was rejected as king. He's already been rejected, but Saul is going downhill. <clears throat> when we turn over to Exodus chapter 17, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt. <clears throat> They're on their way to Mount Sinai. And the Amalekites come up from behind the Israelites and attack them. And in the, and, and in the back part, the, the rearward part, are uh, the feeble people, the weaker people. 
And so they attack them. And that's when Joshua leads a battle. And Moses is holding up the rod. And he has to have help from Aaron, his brother, and Hur to help him hold that up as in a posture of intercession for the army. And as long as he held it up, they won the battle. But when he got tired and lowered it, then the other side won, the Amalekites. Well, finally, God gave the victory to Joshua, the Israelites, and they won. But God said right then, Exodus 17, Moses, write in a book that I'm going to require this of the nation of the Amalekites. They're going to be destroyed. Well, you can figure from Moses down to the time of Saul was about, uh, let's just say 1050, well, it was a little bit after that, and uh, Moses about 1400. See, there's about 400 years there. God doesn't forget. God makes a promise. He's going to keep it. God has conditions that we're to meet to receive the promise. He's going to remember. Whether we kept the conditions or what the conditions are. God does not forget. And so God sent Samuel to Saul. And he said, go down and destroy all of the Amalekites. He let them live about 400 years after that. Kill all the men, the women, the children, the, the babies, and all the flocks and herds and cattle, everything. Don't spare one item. And you know, Saul went down there, but he didn't do everything God told him to do. They spared Agag, the king. They spared some of the best of the flocks and of the oxen and so forth and brought them back. But the night before Saul got back, God appeared to Samuel in a dream and told him, Saul didn't do what I told him to so he got up and he met him. <clears throat> Saul goes out to receive a blessing from Samuel. He said, I've done everything that God commanded me to do. And Samuel said, you did. But then what meaneth the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? Or the, the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And then Saul got on the defense. He said, well, the people, you know, the soldiers that went with it, they wanted to spare the best of the flock to offer sacrifices to God. Well, Samuel goes on to tell him, that's no good. God requires obedience more than sacrifices and the fat of lambs. And he said again, repeated his statement, that he'd been rejected by God to be the king. But God didn't take him off the throne. He left him on the throne. But he's been rejected. <clears throat> when we turn to chapter 16, we're introduced to... To David. God appears to Samuel. Samuel has fretted all night long because of Saul's rejection. And God said, Samuel, quit fretting over Samuel. I mean, Saul. I've rejected him. He's not to be the king anymore. What I want you to do is to take your horn, fill it with oil, and go down to Bethlehem and anoint one of David, I mean, one of Jesse's sons. I'll tell you which one when you get there. Samuel said, well, if I go, you know Saul, he'll kill me if he finds out. And God said, well, why should he find out? Like you always do, take a sacrifice and go and offer a sacrifice. And while you're there, call Jesse and his sons, and then I'll tell you what to do then. And so he did. And so when Samuel arrived in Bethlehem, he contacted Jesse. He brought seven of the sons. He had eight sons. To the sacrifice. Well, the first son was Eliab, and he was a tall guy, and I guess uh, Samuel thought 
This is the man. This is in 1 Samuel 16. Uh, let me uh, turn over there and read a few lines. <clears throat> Start at verse 6. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab, that is Samuel looked upon Eliab and said, Surely Jehovah, Jehovah's anointed is before him. But Jehovah said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For Jehovah seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but Jehovah looketh on the heart. So Eliab, the firstborn, was rejected. The next was uh, Abinadab. That's not the man either. Shammah's the third. Nope, not him. Went down all through the seventh. And none of them was the one that God had in mind for Samuel to anoint. But let's think a little bit about this Eliab. Here was the man who looked upon David as, uh, well, we'll get to that in the next chapter, uh, as um, he had a bad heart. But God chose David because he had a good heart. He didn't select Eliab. Eliab is the one who judged David. He said he's full of pride. You've come here just to see the battle when he had taken food to his three brothers who were there in the army. <clears throat> These were all rejected by God. I think this is a preview of David's heart. I imagine that we might all say, I'm glad that you're not going to judge me in the day of judgment and vice versa. Because we don't know one another's hearts. We couldn't do it justly, could we? But God can. And God will. For example, uh, in Romans 2 and 16, Paul said that <clears throat> God shall judge the secrets of men in that day, the judgment day. Because nothing is hidden from God. Also, a couple of more statements. <clears throat> One of them is found here in Luke 16 and about verses 14 and 15. We could just read 15. And Jesus said unto them, Ye are they that justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knoweth your hearts. They could uh, make all kinds of excuses, but God knew their hearts. For that which is exalted among men is an abomination. In the sight of God. Also. <coughs> excuse me. In Proverbs 21 and verse 2. Every way of a man. Is right in his own eyes. We had something to read about that this morning. In the book of Judges. I mean there was no king in those days. So whatever a man did was right in his own eyes. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But Jehovah with the hearts. He knows our motivation. He knows everything. We judge one another. We don't want to be like Samuel. 
he thought as Eliab came before him, surely this is Jehovah's anointing. But he wasn't. Jesus taught in John 1 and 24, judge righteous judgment. Judge not according to appearance. And that's so easy for us to do. But judge righteous judgment. So where are we? Okay. Uh, well, I won't give you that other example. We'll just go on. <clears throat> when all seven had been brought before Samuel and God had rejected them all, and God had told Samuel that it's going to be one of David, I mean, one of Jesse's sons. And he said, don't you have, are these all your children? Any more? But he must have known there's bound to be another. And Jesse said, oh yeah, the youngest son, he's down taking care of the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We're not going to sit down until he comes. And then when he did come, then we see how uh, Samuel took his horn of oil and anointed him. And the spirit of Jehovah came upon him mightily. Now, let me turn to that passage. 1 Samuel 16, I'll start with... uh, Then Samuel took the horn of oil, that's verse uh, 13, and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of Jehovah came mightily upon David from that day forward. But David just continued his regular life until a little bit later. But in the meantime, the very next verse says, Now the spirit of Jehovah departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from Jehovah troubled him. Now here's where we run into Saul's bad spirit. Now there's some question and discussion about whether this is a demon that we read about so much that Jesus cast out in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in his day in public ministry. And some will say that. Others would say no. It's just talking about an evil heart. And I kind of leaned that way. It's sort of like Pharaoh, the Egyptian king. When God sent Moses to him, told him what God wanted to be done, he refused to do it. And then we read a number of times how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then we read that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But he hardened his heart by, not directly. But God wanted Pharaoh to do something he refused to do. And in refusing that, he hardened his heart. And the more he refused, the harder his heart got. And that's sort of, I think, the way the evil spirit came on Saul. He's already been rejected. And he seems to be getting worse and worse. And so it's after this last rejection that that's when we read about an evil spirit coming upon him. Well, someone suggests uh, what you need to do, Saul master and king or whatever they call him uh, you need to send for someone who can play the harp and the harp will soothe you you know what do we say sometimes music hath charms to soothe the savage breast and someone recommended David he was a man and he's described in good, uh, with good characteristics and personality and so he was sent for and he came and whenever this evil spirit came upon Saul David would play on his harp. And then the evil spirit would leave. 
Now, that's one of the reasons why I don't think it was the demon. I mean, we don't think of the demons as they're represented in the Bible as that which would come and go because someone's playing an instrument. But that's what happened generally. At first, anyway, when David played the instrument, the evil spirit left Saul. <clears throat> but what was David's age at this time? David, I'm going to say, was about 20. We sort of suggested this earlier. He became the king when he was 30. We're told that definitely. 30 years old. And so here's about 10 years when he served Saul at first with the instrument. Then later on, after he kills Goliath, he becomes one of his leaders, and God gives him the victory every time. He goes out against the Philistines, and then Saul gets worse and worse and worse. So, David was being trained in the school of affliction. And we won't have time for the battle. Let me just close by mentioning the part about David being a shepherd. <clears throat> David began as a shepherd. He claimed to have learned his first spiritual lessons while defending his father's sheep. When the lion and the bear came and snatched the sheep, he went after that lion and that bear. Snatched the sheep away and then when they turned on him, he took the beard of that animal and killed it. He was a shepherd that protected the sheep. And God later reminded him that David was actually called from the sheepfold. Seven brothers. That's not the one. You have another son. He's minding the sheep. Samuel says, send him. Send for him. To receive Samuel's anointing. And then he had to resume his, this occupation. More than once between the times when he was serving Saul and the time that he became a king. When Nathan wanted to impress upon David the, the enormity of his sin with Bathsheba, he wisely invented the story of the ewe lamb. You know, the rich man had all kinds of flocks and sheep, you know, uh, uh, everything he needed. And then he had this guest to come along and he goes next door to the poor man who has one ewe lamb. When David heard that story, you can see that he's still a shepherd at heart. And then when David sinned by taking the census for the people, he sent Joab out to count all the men. He wanted to know how much men we can depend upon, how strong an army he had toward the end of his life. And when God sent the prophet Gad, he said, you've done wrong. I'm going to give you three choices. You can experience seven years of famine in the land, or you can flee for three months from your foe, your enemy, or three days of pestilence. And God, I mean, David says, I, I, will, I will plead and depend upon God's mercy. And so his argument was for God's mercy. He said, for Israel on the argument that the people were unoffending sheep. And so it seems that a shepherd heart is a basic requirement for anyone who aspires to serve God among his fellow men. A couple examples from the New Testament, Acts 20 and 28. Paul is speaking to the elders from Ephesus, and he says to, I think it says, uh, 
take heed unto yourselves and unto the flock, the flock of sheep, the church, over the which the Holy Spirit hath appointed you overseers. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, beginning at verse 2, and he himself was an elder, a shepherd, a pastor. He says, tend the flock of God, addressing the elders, the pastors, making yourselves in samples to the flock, verse 3, and then in verse 4, when the chief shepherd, that's Christ, shall be manifested, ye shall receive the crown of glory. So God prepared a man that had that kind of experience, that kind of a lifestyle, because he was going to be a king, and he was going to have to shepherd all of the nation of God's people. But we'll continue our story uh, next week. We have a song of invitation, and we want to sing it together. To encourage anybody who needs to come to the Lord and become a part of his family. To enter into the sheepfold. To be a sheep that will follow the great shepherd wherever he leads. That's Christ. And so if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and want to confess that before men and women. Having repented of your sins and be buried with him in baptism. This invitation is for you as we stand and sing.